Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week we discuss the correlation of globalism and systemic racism persevering in a world overcoming trauma. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Why Is with Ty and Dan, a weekly Marvel recap podcast where we try to figure out just who and what is going on in this cinematic universe. I'm Tyler Borland. No, you're not. You're Ty. The title told me you were Ty. I'm Danny Vincent. Ignore the title. It lies about me, but not about Ty. Anyway, (laughs) let's move on to the MCU news. But first, we have some apologies. Last week on the podcast... I said In the Heights was open the same day as Fast and Furious 9. It was never scheduled for that date. I apologize. But also bring good news that In the Heights has moved up a week anyway. Yay! Good thing, it's too bad this isn't In the Heights podcast. Why isn't this, why are we In the Heights with Ty and Dan? Come on. (laughs) And I, I will apologize for last week announcing that we would now be on youtube um the three hour episode last week broke my computer and it could not handle the uh the processing to uh move over to a video so hopefully this week we will be on on that on youtube yeah Um, you guys can't tell because obviously just listen to recording but tyler's computer is so broken he's recording this right now from his video now player. I don't know if you guys remember those, but it's what Tyler's recording this on. It's a video now. I'm recording it on a Zoom. A Zoom on video now. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Danny, what do we have for MCU news? Well, this first off, we got to do awards talk. Woo woo. I was only going to talk about the Oscars, but then surprise, surprise, during the Grammys, Taika Waititi somehow won for JoJo Rabbit. I don't know how that works, but it happened. <laughs> and Taika doesn't seem to know how it worked either in his acceptance speech, which he accepted over Zoom. I don't think on a video now, but over Zoom. Uh, he's missing out. Yeah. Uh, well, he was he's too busy shooting a movie uh, with uh, Matt Damon, I heard, in Australia. So, yeah, no, he's shooting Thor Love and Thunder, so he couldn't get there. Uh, actually, I don't know if you watched his acceptance speech, but at one point he's like, Man, I almost forgot I made Jojo Rabbit, but it's been so long. I don't know how I'm still winning awards for this. <laughs> but yeah, Taika has, is halfway now to an EGOT. Woo-woo. Although, Ayo. I wonder if he has an Emmy. I should look that up. Because he, um, he did both Flight of the Concords and, of course, What We Do in the Shadows. So maybe all he needs is a Tony. I gotta look this up. But Tyler, do you want to talk about the Grammys while I look it up? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Grammy news this uh This is the this Grammy week. podcast. <laughs> the weekend, uh, the artist of the weekend is boycotting the Grammys following his snub this past year for his song Blinding Lights, which top charts for an exceeding amount of weeks. Exactly, it gets stuck in your head. It's, it's, it's a bop. You want to talk about bops? <laughs> That's one right there. But... Uh, but yeah, no, I think that this is, it's something that's needed. Um, uh, 
for artists to stand up for their art and also to stand up against being boxed in to one category of music. And the reason why he did not win uh, this Grammy for... He, uh, he was expecting to win it for a uh, pop song, in which Blinding Lights is very pop. But he did not win win in that in that category. I don't even think he won in the hip hop category, which is what the Grammys. I don't think he was nominated into. Was he? No, I don't think he was nominated. That's what was so controversial. Is like, yeah, how could you not nominate the weekend after the year he had last year? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and then and then of course he had the Super Bowl halftime show this year, which I mean is. It's, it's it's an honor. It's not as big as as the Grammys, but uh, ah, but, I yeah, disagree. I, I think the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show is way bigger than the Grammys. You're you're the only person at the Super Bowl halftime show, right? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> so. <true. laughs> so so yeah, it it uh, I think it's I think it's good that he's boycotting the Grammys following this, and I also don't think art. Art and artists should not be categorized into one category. I, I mean, if Taylor Swift can win awards for country and pop, why can't The Weeknd win an award in pop with a song that was played on pop radio um, and topped charts for, like I said, a new, numerous amount of weeks, an impressive amount of weeks at that. So... Uh, Danny, do you have some well, actually, I, Oscar news? I or? think it's interesting that you, you say that. I don't know what happened, obviously, because I don't, I don't listen to music. No, <laughs> um, but I'm looking now at what. The, well, first, to go back to Taika, he has not won an Emmy. Sorry, guys, he still needs an Emmy. He's not won an Emmy he, yet. Yeah, he needs an Emmy and a Tony. So give me Jojo Rabbit the musical, please. <laughs> um, but uh, it looks like The Weeknd has been nominated for a pop performance before. Uh, for Can't mm. Feel My Face, that was categorized as pop. So that's interesting that they did that again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting that Blinding I Lights the, didn't. I thought the controversy with After Hours and Blinding Lights was... Um, the the reason people thought it was snubbed was because at the originally the Grammys were delayed because of the, um, the virus. <laughs> you know, like it, it was straight because of COVID. Uh, but initially it was scheduled to be like the weekend either right before or after Super Bowl. So the thought was is that the weekend wouldn't be able to perform at both. Or the Grammys wouldn't be able to announce mm. their exclusivity of having the weekend. And as such, they didn't nominate him. Um, Which is still a snub. Well, it's you know. arguably more corrupt, I would say. Yeah. Just to outright be like, no, we don't want to nominate you because we don't think you performing will be a draw. <laughs> and the thing is, it would be a draw still. People still like the weekend, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know enough about music to really talk about it. But yeah, I mean, I'm always down for people boycotting stuff. Uh, a lot of talent agencies are talking about boycotting the Globes, and I think that's a good idea too. Mm. I don't know if you heard the thing with the Globes. Is uh, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of actors have spoken out against against the Globes. Well, it was revealed on uh, it was revealed like a few days before this year. Uh, that some a journalist in LA had done an investigation, and there are no black members of the HFPA who are who vote on the Globes, uh, mm. which is a massive issue. 
Uh, furthermore, other things have come up, like Shonda Rhimes, I know, tweeted about how she tried to have a press conference for the show, her show Bridgerton, and they're like, no, we don't think it'll be a success, and then she's like, okay, you say a a Shonda Rhimes show being a success is kind of like, like, you can't, you can't say you don't expect it to be successful, because she's like Mm -hmm. one of the most successful people working in television, uh... And then Ava DuVernay chimed in and said that when she did a press conference for them for When They See Us, which is her miniseries that, like, I don't think, it it, it had the misfortune of coming out the same year as Chernobyl. Uh, so it didn't sweep everything. It was pretty evenly sweep, split between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, but it famously was not nominated at the Globes for anything, even though it won the Emmy for Best Actor in the miniseries and I think some other stuff, too. Uh, but she said mm-hmm. that when she did a press conference at the Globes, uh, all the questions were very obviously like they didn't know they hadn't watched the show, or like they were questions more about her own career than the show. Uh, and yeah, the Globes do seem to have a race problem. Uh, yeah, which I can't really. Well, I don't know enough about the Grammys to say one way or the other. Um, I also think this is just. I think this was such a transparent thing that I'm surprised the news didn't pick up more on. Is this is this is the story from the Globes that to me it was like racism, like it was you know what I mean. Like it was very much like a huh wow. I'm really surprised the news hasn't picked this up more. Is that apparently for Soul right? So Soul yeah. has Pete Doctor as the director and a white producer who I don't know. Pete Doctor is, in my opinion, the greatest working animation director. Because, uh, Tyler, I don't know if you know what Pete Doctor films are. I'll just give you his entire filmography right now. Monsters, Inc., Up, Inside Out, Soul. That's his filmography. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, he's the best director at Pixar. He has no no whiffs. He has not tried to do a live-action movie and failed. He has not been a disturbing sex creep. Because uh, that's John Laster is. Who's... Mm. Yeah. Um, but anyway... He's just generally a great guy. I think he's... Honestly, I haven't seen Soul, but I think if any direct animation director ever deserves to be nominated for Best Director, it should be Pete Docter. Well, or Miyazaki, but I don't expect Miyazaki to ever get in. Even though it'd be great. But yeah. Um, but anyway, so traditionally the Globes nominate just the director and the producer. Uh, and the one we can point to there is Coco. Because Coco is in a similar position where it had a white director and a white producer, and a Hispanic co-director who wrote a lot of the movie and did a lot of the work. Uh, and he, he got an Oscar. They gave the Oscar to the co-director, but the Globes are like, no, we refuse to nominate him. Uh, and Soul has a similar situation where it has a black uh, play... Uh, well, he's a playwright, uh, but he co-directed the movie and co-wrote the script. Uh, he actually... It doesn't seem to be nominated at the Oscars there, which is kind of weird. But he is nominated at the Oscars because he wrote the script for One Night in Miami. Uh, so you know, he's like, he's still Oscar nominated, so that might be why. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, apparent, this guy's name is Kemp Powers. Uh, apparently he was informed on Sunday morning of the Globes that he was being added to the nomination list. And that to me just means they wanted to have another black winner so they would look... Progress- you know what I mean? Like... The only reason yeah. to me, I think that happened, like you know, what I mean? like because we have the precedent. It seems like it's an afterthought. Yeah, it's an afterthought. Like, why wouldn't you tell this guy? And what was worse was mm-hmm. during their acceptance speech, what happened was is Pete Doctor accepted it, and then he had to pull up his phone to 
show assume that he had going with Kemp Powers to accept it because they didn't even set up the equipment at his house. So it's just oh. like, okay, you're trying to be like, look at all the black winners we have, but this is very blunt, blunt, blatantly something that you're just doing this as an afterthought to have another black winner. Which, like, great, I'm glad Kemp Powers has a globe, but it's really disrespectful how you went around it. And to me, it's very transparent that the only reason you're giving it to him is so you yourself look more progressive. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Now, moving on to the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, I did want to share that story, because even though it has nothing to do with the MCU, it's kind of like what you said at the weekend, but I think it's mm-hmm. really weird that the Kemp Powers thing never really got massive exposure outside of an article in Hollywood Reporter. Um, especially with the Globes controversy still going on because there's a lot of people still talking about it. But yeah. (sighs) Anyway, so I'm going to give you guys a complete list of the Oscar noms that have MCU-related content. What? Let me tell you, it actually took me an hour or so to go for the noms. And I will also give the disclaimer that Venom is MCU-adjacent. I forgot to ask Tyler if I should look up Venom stuff until after I was done. So, (laughs) uh, Venom's not included here. There are a few other nominees that have worked on Venom, but, yeah. Sorry. I didn't want to re-go through all the nominees looking for Venom. So. (laughs) So first, we have Best Visual Effects, where every nomination has someone involved with the MCU. First nominated is Love and Monsters, where Geneve, Genevieve Camilleri worked on Doctor Strange and Captain America Civil War. Before I continue, let me just say that for pretty much any of these nominations, if I mispronounce your name, I'm sorry. But you would also probably can expect that visual effects supervisors don't really have their name pronunciations available readily on the internet. Moving on. <laughs> Love and Monsters also has Brian Cox nominated. Not the actor who worked on Thor Ragnarok and Matt Sloan who worked on The Avengers. Next, The Midnight Sky. Uh, Max Solomon is nominated for it. He worked on Avengers Endgame. Mulan. Sean Andrew Faden is nominated for it. He worked on Captain America the First Avenger. Uh, the One and Only Ivan, which Santiago Colomo. Santiago Colomo. I, I know how to say Santiago. I don't know why I just totally butchered that. Uh, Santiago Colomo. Greg Fisher and Ben Jones are all nominated, and they all worked on Guardians of the Galaxy 1. And then finally, Tenet is nominated for Best Visual Effects, which Skardar R. Fisher is nominated for. He worked on Ant-Man and the Wasp. I actually think, judging off his uh, IMDb page, he's more of a stunt coordinator, probably because Tenet doesn't really have um, CGI effects. Uh, Mm -hmm. David Lee worked on... He's nominated. He worked on Avengers Infinity War. And Andrew Lockley is nominated. He worked on Captain America the First Avenger. Next up is I think what, sorry I think the before we move on yeah. I think that Tenet being uh, nominated for best visual effects is interesting. Um, I think it should because, win because of uh, well yeah and this isn't me saying that you know it's controversial yeah. I just think I think it's interesting because a lot of Tenet is um, you would think that it is just footage shot and then just rewound in the in post. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think find Tenet that is, really, really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I just think Tenet is visually such, uh, not cinematography wise, but like the effects in it are so interesting. Uh, yeah. 
the first scene where uh, the protagonist is inverted to me, I just remember that's like the one part of that movie where my jaw really dropped. Uh, mm-hmm. When he's like walking outside the compound for the first time, I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I would have tended to actually win the category there. I my bummer there is even though again I haven't seen the movie, uh, Soul was on the short list, and I actually think that we should uh, have more animated films nominated for visual effects, not just stop motion movies. Because uh, yeah. I think there's often the case where the best looking animated movie is not the best animated film of the year. Uh, mm. And I wouldn't mind there being a slot in there for it to get in. And from what I've seen of Soul, is it's gorgeous. I can guarantee you it deserves a slot more than Mulan. You know, like from what I've mm-hmm. seen of both, I can guarantee you Soul is a much better looking movie. Uh, but anyway, moving it on. It is. It is. Yeah, you've seen it. What? Yeah. You saw yeah, Soul. Yeah. Good. I saw Soul. We're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> no, it's actually, a... it's the movie I watched for the green room. No. no! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so moving on is best makeup and hairstyling. Uh, Emma uh, is nominated. <laughs> Emma, I, I say Emma because it's Emma period, and I always think it's funny there's a period at the end of the title. And uh, I should look it up at some point for you, just for you because I know the director once said that why there's a oh I remember she's like there's a period at the end of the title because it's a period piece, and I was like oh that's funny that's clever because the most famous adaptation of Emma is Clueless. Which obviously is not a period piece, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the, the makeup. Uh, someone who's nominated for that for makeup and hairstyle is Laura Allen, and she's working on Eternals right now. And then Mank is also nominated for makeup and hairstyling, where Colleen LaBeouf and Kimberly Spiteri, they both worked on Iron Man three. Next up is best sound. Again, a lot of these have. I think there's only one nominee here that isn't. Uh, doesn't have an MC person who worked, you know what I mean? An MC alum. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, Greyhound is nominated, and Bo Borders is nominated for it. And he worked on Iron Man 3, Marvel One Shop Item 47, and Captain America the First Avenger. Then Manka's nominated with Nathan Nance, who worked on Captain American Civil War, Ant Man, The Avengers, Iron Man 2, and Iron Man. David Parker is also nominated for Mank. And he worked on The Avengers, Captain America the First Avenger, and Iron Man 2. And he's also nominated for Soul. Uh, he's, a, he's a double nominee this year. Good for him. Mm. Um, yeah. I actually think it's interesting that people work on both. I don't know. I used to, I thought in the past Pixar sound designers worked exclusively for Pixar. Um, yeah. But I guess Well, I know anymore. I know that a lot of a lot a lot of the MCU films are um, they do their sound editing, their their post through uh, Skywalker sound. Oh uh, yeah, Skywalker. And that's yeah. With Pixar is very closely affiliated to Lucasfilm because mm-hmm. they used to be. I yep. don't know if you know that Pixar was originally a division of Lucasfilm that was then sold to Apple. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, then News of the World, where Mike Press. This is still sound. Mike Prestwood Smith worked on Iron Man three, and then John Pritchett who's also nominated, worked on Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. And then finally, Soul has another nominee. Uh, well, Soul is also... We already covered Souls in this, but another nom- person nominated for it is Koya Elliott, who worked on Guardians of the Galaxy. I believe Koya Elliott is actually... Uh, I want to look this up just so I know I'm not wrong. Uh, hold on. Yeah, 
Koya Elliott is one of the first women to be nominated for sound. So good for her. Yeah, way to go. Yeah. Uh, next up is Best Costume Design, where Mulan is nominated. And the costume designer for that is Alexandra Byrne, who worked on Doctor Strange, Avengers Age of Ultron, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Avengers, and Thor. And I want to say good for her now, but I remember it being pretty controversial she was hired for Mulan. So... Mm. Hope she loses. No. <laughs> I don't know who the other noms are there. But I could probably say Emma probably deserves it more if it's nominated. Um, next up is Best Production Design, uh, where The Father is nominated, uh, and Kathy Featherstone did, is, worked on, is nominated for it. She worked on Doctor Strange and Avengers Age of Ultron, and also for The Father, Peter Francis is nominated, who worked on The Avengers. Uh, I actually know Peter Francis, though, is uncredited on The Avengers, so that might have been when his career was starting out. Mm. Best Film Editing, Nomadland. We're going to hear this name a lot. Chloe Zhao. She's directing Eternals. She edited her movie Nomadland, which is the front runner for pretty much everything this year. I I think that's that's really cool um, when when directors are the ones that handle the they handle the project through the uh, Coens do it too pre, pre-production through filming and through post yeah Coens um, do it too the Coen brothers uh, I can't think of yeah. any other like current filmmaker oh Roma uh, a couple years ago was nominated here too and it was like that but usually for the most part people have their own editors uh, but yeah uh, moving on best cinematography uh, we have none of the cinematographers nominated are shooting an MC movie technically like they're not the main cinematographer on it but they mm. are working on it or worked on it. Manx cinematographer Eric Messerschmidt worked on Ant-Man and Iron Man 2. He was not the main cinematographer. And then Nomadland, you could probably guess, Joshua James Richards is working on Eternals. He's not the main cinematographer, though, but I have heard that he's working very closely with the actual cinematographer. All right. Best Adapted Screenplay, Nomadland, Chloe Zhao, Eternals. Good for her. She'll probably win that one. The category is very weak. Um, best director, Nomadland, Chloe Zhao, directing Eternals. There you go. Again, probably gonna win that one. Not because of the competition not being good, but she is the front runner. Uh, best supporting actress, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. She played Nova Prime in Guardians of the Galaxy. Really hope she doesn't win. <laughs> Although I, I'll admit, I do feel bad for Glenn Close. I think she has the record. For most nominations about a win of living actors, mm. uh, to the point where I was actually looting, well, I was rooting against her being nominated for Hillbilly LG because I think Hillbilly LG is not a good movie. But moreover, uh, I think that she shouldn't be nominated because she's not gonna, she really shouldn't win. I don't think she will win. And you're just adding another nomination to her that you're not gonna have a win for. So, like, why, why you gotta be so mean? <laughs> Come yeah, on, Academy, yeah. don't be rude. Uh, best Supporting Actor, the frontrunner, still Daniel Kaluuya, uh, for Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, he played Wakabi in Black Panther. And I think he is Daniel Kaluuya. I love Kaluuya Daniel Kaluuya. Is a, he's a very overlooked piece of Black Panther. Um, well, as I've said before, I would like for him to be... Although, again, I don't know if he'd be down for it because he's become, honestly, one of the probably the biggest actor that's in Black Panther 1 besides well, Michael B. Jordan was already big so I don't count him uh, yeah. uh, 
and Lupita as well. Though they were both already big, but Daniel Kula really broke out in a way that to me makes him seem bigger than the franchise. But mm-hmm. if he's willing to, I'd be I I think as I've said before, my ideal thing for the Wakanda show would be set it during the five years, have it be a Winston Duke and uh, Denigura co-led show, and have Daniel Kaluuya be the main bad guy of the first season. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think he would sign on for more than one season. Uh, mm. But it'd be great. Uh, but yeah, he's probably going to win. Good for him. I actually think this category is funny because... There's an argument to be made that of the five nominations, four of them are lead performances. (laughs) The only one who is not, who is definitely supporting is Paul Ratchie for Sound of Metal. Great movie. But, like, the controversial thing here was with Judas and the Black Messiah is that the final slot in this category went to Lakeith Stanfield, who's in the movie as well. And it's like, okay, so Lakeith is Judas, Daniel Kalu is the Black Messiah, so who is the lead? (laughs) They're both supporting. (laughs) Like, what? But yeah, uh, best actor. We all know the frontrunner is Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He's obviously being mentioned here because he was Black Panther. Uh, but also, Anthony Hopkins is nominated for The Father. And I want to point out that I did not mention him during my uh, Golden Globes rundown a few weeks ago. And he was nominated there too. My bad. He plays Odin in the Thor movies. Uh, this is. Uh, yeah, it's another big nomination. I haven't seen The Father yet, but I've heard that the general take on The Father is is that if Ma Rainey did not come out, that this would be Anthony Hopkins' year to win a second one because he hasn't won mm. since Science of the Lambs. And there's always been the argument that his role in Science of the Lambs is not actually a lead role, whereas he's actually the lead of The Father. So yeah, but yeah, and then best yeah, I can yeah, sorry I can see see that with. Uh... Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, well, in speaking of uh, Ma Rainey, um, I'm actually talking about that in the green room today. Oh my gosh! All right. So best picture. Uh, well, I'll just get Nomadland out the way first. Chloe Zhao. I don't know if you heard. She's directing Eternals. Uh, and but then also this to me was cool is that Judas and the Black Messiah. Ryan Coogler produced it, which means he finally is Oscar nominated, and he directed Black Panther, obviously. But yeah, those are the Oscars uh, in relation to the MCU. Uh, I will watch them and hate myself like I do every year I watch the Oscars. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, Kingsley ben was cast in the Secret Invasion show as a villain. Uh, Kingsley, well, I'll, you say your thing first. Um, uh, yeah, so he's... Um, I looked up his filmography on IMDb and he... Uh, he's more of just starting really uh, really getting his feet wet in in Hollywood. Um, he was good in the Peaky Blinders television series. You can watch that on, on Netflix. Um, but he was more of a side character in that show. So it will be interesting to see him take on what seems to be a bigger role in the MCU. If you want to watch a movie uh, that he really anchors, One Night in Miami, uh, mm-hmm. it's Oscar-nominated... Uh, as I said, actually, I mentioned earlier, it's what Kemp Powers, who directed Soul, is actually nominated for at the Oscars for the screenplay, because uh, he wrote the play that one night Miami is based on, and then he wrote the movie. And that's on—is that on Prime? Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. It's very good. Uh, Leslie O'Dom Jr. from Hamilton is Oscar nominated for it, and he really deserves the nomination. He's one of those supporting actors I said that you could argue is the lead of his movie. Although the real lead has mm. definitely been uh, Kingsley Benadire because he plays Malcolm X. Uh, yeah, it's a very good movie. 
in a way, I was actually kind of bummed to hear he's playing a villain in Secret Invasion because he's a very exciting actor. You know how sometimes like an actor comes along with like a like out of nowhere and he like delivers a great performance. That's what I felt watching him in One Night in Miami. I was like, wow, this guy's great. Gotcha. However, I've never yeah. seen him before. Uh, oh, and I wanted to jump back just very quickly to the Oscars and be like, also for Best Actor nominated is Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, my favorite movie of last year. Oh, actually, <laughs> that's kind of funny now that I'm thinking about it. You know how when I was talking about Best Sound, I'm like, oh, I can't remember the fifth nomination is. It's Sound of Metal, which will probably win that category. Uh, but yeah, that's also on Amazon Prime. So do a double feature of One Night of Miami and Sound of Metal. Do it. It's great. Um, but yeah, Kingsley ben who is the lead of One Night of Miami and is on Piggy Blinders, Tyler's favorite show of all time. Uh... <laughs> He's coming to the MCU. Hopefully he's not going to be wasted as a villain. He could be, though. And then finally, Venom has moved to September. Tyler, any thoughts? Um, Sony, Sony's doing a bunch of moving around with their, with their movies. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, on the record, Danny, Danny had to, had to correct me. I got this mixed up with Morbius's 18 moves that it's made. Um, Actually, but, uh, if you want to know what's worse than Morbius, uh, I can tell you to me. This cracked me up. Uh, I'm looking up the exact Wikipedia thing of these moves because to me this is just so like insane. Like how much Peter Rabbit two has been moved. Like mm. I'm not even joking. Okay, so it was initially set for release on February seventh, twenty twenty. Then it was moved to on September twenty nineteen to. April 3rd, 2020, to be moved closer to Easter, which makes sense because it's a movie about a rabbit. Then, during the pandemic, uh, on March 10th of last year, it was moved to August 7th, 2020. Then, obviously, the the pandemic wasn't over, so on March 31st, no, on March 30th, actually, no, they gave up pretty quickly, now that I'm looking at it. Like, two weeks later, they moved it to January 15th, 2021. Um... Then, on November of last year, they moved it to April 2nd. Then they moved it to June 11th. Uh, I don't know when. doesn't say when. Come on, Wikipedia, you're failing me. Uh, it looks like in January they moved it. Yeah, on January 22nd, they moved it to uh, June 11th. And then a few weeks ago, they moved it to May 14th. And last week, like literally last night, they moved it to July 2nd. So, Peter Rabbit 2's hopping around. Uh, <laughs> uh, Venom, on the other hand, I believe only had moved had moved to moved back a year entirely last year around the same time Peter Rabbit moved to January. And I think that's the only move it's made until now when it's coming out in September. Yeah. Which wasn't Morbius going to come out in September? No, Morbius was, was going to October, but then No yeah. Time to Die moved there, so it makes sense for Venom to be a month before No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. Um, my other comment on Venom is is that the date it moved to, uh, I'm excited because if you guys remember my obnoxious core rant, <laughs> uh, Boss Baby Two now comes out the same day as Venom Two, and I think Venom is the only superhero obnoxious core movie. So yeah. Yeah, so we'll have two obnoxious, possible obnoxious core Double movies. feature. Double feature. Yeah. Boss Baby 2. Venom 2. You the know, I actually really hope they live up to the Theater popcorn. Hype. Yeah. I hope I get my carrot top Woody Harrelson. Uh, 
But yeah. We're gonna go in the green room. I'm gonna start. <laughs> I'm gonna start. Okay. This week I watched... Well, I watched a lot of obscure stuff that I don't want to talk about. So, I also watched the Spongebob movie Sponge on the Run. And the reason I decided to talk about this is... I don't know if you've actually heard about this, Tyler. Is way back in SIU, I believe my junior year, but it might have been my sophomore year, I took an animation history class, uh, and I ended mm-hmm. it with writing a large 20-page paper about the Spongebob movies and how they relate to uh, U.S. politics. I think so, I remember this. Yeah, so naturally yeah. I just watched the new movie to see how they relate to U.S. <laughs> politics. Uh, I don't have those thoughts yet, but my thoughts on the movie are it's not good. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch, Spongebob. It, well, okay. So Spongebob is wacky. It's fun. It's 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 spongebob no but anyway so my thing is is that spongebob spongebob movie sponge on the run it's designed to be very funny but uh the issue is is that it's also designed to advertise a new show on paramount plus and I want to be very clear is that I do not have Paramount Plus. I'm not adding another streaming service right now. And if I did, it wouldn't be Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus seems like a ripoff. However, uh, heads up for people who want to check out Paramount Plus is that if you have Amazon Prime, there's actually a free trial going on that you can't opt out of for the next 11 days. So I saw that and I was like, well, I guess I'll check out the SpongeBob movie now because I'm not going to pay for it any other time of my life. Uh, and... The animation's really interesting. It's CGI, but it's animated to look like a stop-motion cartoon, which is a cool look for the SpongeBob uh, franchise. But more... Uh, and there's funny bits. Keanu Reeves shows up in live action, and it's more than a cameo. It's like an extended role. He's really funny. But the real issue with it is is that, like... So, as I said, it tries to tie into this new spinoff on Paramount Plus to try to make you watch that. But... The, the spinoff is like Spongebob and Summer Camp, which inherently gets me mad because Steven Hillenburg said when he was around that he never wanted to be spinoff of Spongebob. There's like a quote that's been floating around the internet for quite some time since the show was announced, which is him saying, I don't want to do spinoffs, and once I do Spongebob Babies, I'm out. And basically this Camp Curl show is Spongebob Babies. Um, mm. But, uh, so the climax of this, I feel, I feel comfortable spoiling a Spongebob movie, sorry, you, you'll all survive. Uh, if you don't want to listen, just skip ahead a minute, I guess. But who cares? It's Spongebob. It's a Spongebob movie. Uh, so, uh, Spongebob and Patrick are about to get executed. But Mr. Krabs, Sandy, Plankton, and, uh, Squidward. I couldn't, don't know why I forgot his name. Squidward, they all show up to try to save him. And normally in Spongebob, like, you'd expect it to be comical they're saving him. But no, what they all do is they all go to this trial and stand on witness and go, I remember the first time I met Spongebob. And it's all like scenes from this summer camp show, including Sandy, which makes no sense at all. Because we actually see one Sp- Sandy first week Spongebob in the cartoon. It's the pilot yeah. of the show. Uh, it's in the pilot of the show. The actual pilot of the show is him getting the job with the Krusty Krab. 
but you know it's a cartoon so there's it's a two-part pilot uh but it's all it's also like also schmaltzy it's like squidward's origin story with spongebob is he played the clarinet badly at a talent show at the summer camp and uh spongebob and patrick won for doing a dumb camp song and squidward was like i'm never gonna play the clarinet again and then spongebob and patrick were like Aw, well, here, we'll give you the trophy because we feel bad for you. We don't need the trophy. And Squidward decided never to give up on the clarinet after that. I'm like, all right, okay, well, this is Spongebob. It shouldn't be, like, this blatantly, like, trying to be emotional. Like, get off my back. And yeah. it's just also, like, I don't want to be, like, Spongebob is cynical because that's not. I actually think I I could do an entire podcast. Like, not an episode, an entire podcast, like, delving into Spongebob as a property. I think it's really interesting. And I think... There's a lot of, especially, I work with kids, and some of my kids, their parents are like, like, we don't let our kids watch Spongebob. And I'm always like, really? I think Spongebob is actually a really great role model for kids. Uh, I think Spongebob is culturally, he's also culturally, like, the last big figure that was created, if you think about it. Since Spongebob, there's never been anyone as big as Spongebob. Uh, Like, he is a huge deal. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I think Spongebob is good. I think Spongebob is a force for optimism. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Sorry. I like Spongebob. And that's why the movie got me mad. Is because I didn't think it was good. I felt like it was disrespectful to what, in my opinion, Spongebob is about. Because uh, I don't think Spongebob should be serious for the most part. Uh, I yeah. think if you're doing a series finale, it could be serious. I actually... One of these days, I should go on, like, Kevin's podcast or something and pitch how I would end Spongebob, honestly. Because <laughs> I, have, I have a pitch. I, I, I worked it well, out at work a few weeks ago. I was like, how would I end Spongebob? But, yeah, because I think it's a more difficult prompt to give you than you'd expect. Because mm-hmm. it has to be satisfying, but it also can't be... Like, this movie was too... It can't be too mushy. Because it's Spongebob. Yeah. Uh, but I have an idea how I'd end it. But I won't go into it now, because... My green room time is up, and I'm pretty sure no one here wants to hear me. My, no one, here, everyone here just wants to hear about Falcon and Winter Soldier. I don't care about SpongeBob, uh, but I will say SpongeBob movie Sponge on the Rum. It's bad outside of Keanu Reeves, um, but if you like SpongeBob, or if you're like me and like an intense SpongeBob scholar, it's on Amazon Prime for free until the end of the month, so you don't need to get Paramount Plus right now. Uh, and along with I think there are other stuff too. I'm not sure because I don't really have an interest of anything on Paramount Plus. But yeah, Tyler, what did you watch? Just kidding, we all know, but you can still talk about it. I watched I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which we all know stars uh, the late Chadwick Boseman. Um, and and uh, I wanted to wait, wait, wait. to yeah, and Viola Davis. And, They're yes, co-leads. Yes. Just saying, they are co-leads. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I wanted I wanted to start out um, with this. I wanted to talk about how this movie is a self fulfilling prophecy, and I'm not talking about plot. This is more in relation to how. Um, well, you'll see. You'll see what I get to. So, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the film, is based on the original play by playwright august wilson love august um, wilson we're big wilson fans here and uh august wilson is uh he is no longer alive and the pro- the rights to all of his works have passed on to denzel washington um as we 
as you may know, Denzel Washington he, he is the one to, who paid for Chadwick Boseman's uh, college and for him to to uh, learn to uh, delve deeper into his theater skills. Um, and so, uh, like, without Denzel, we would not have Chadwick. Ch- it would have been so much harder for Chadwick Boseman to have uh, to have got the exposure that he did and to really hone those acting skills um, to the point of where he all of the great work that he gave before he passed. Um, so I wanted to say that this was a self-fulfilling prophecy because this film is produced by Denzel Washington and you know, uh, one is of the stars to... is Chadwick Boseman. Do, do what? Do you know that Denzel is... Um... He's working on. He said it's his goal to get all the Wilson uh, Pittsburgh cycle plays adapted into films. So this is the second one because he did Fences as well. Um, yeah. So he, well, he wants that would to, also... to get them all done. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Um, so I I thought that being said, um, I thought this was adapted extremely well for film, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with. How, what like August Wilson's plays? It's the the format of August Wilson of an August Wilson play. They are very dialogue heavy, and uh, when when you do that, you're focusing more on the dialogue and what's being said rather than flashy scenes. Even though the scenes, you know, every everything in the scene is is an actor. Um, Danny, I'm going to get into the stuff that we learned back seen, in directing uh, class. Sorry, before but, you go on, though, have you seen Fences? I'm curious. I've not seen Fences yet. I need to. I would say that this movie is way better than Fences. Uh, but that has actually more to do with direction, which is interesting. Gotcha. I, want to, I want to get into that really quick before you go on, because I don't know if you know this. This was directed by George C. Wolfe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know who that is, right? Should we say who that is for? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, say. George C. Wolfe is like one of the great theatrical directors working. Uh, but this is like he's done TV movies before. This was well, people say Netflix's TV movies, but I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in a theater, so uh, it is a theatrical. <laughs> and obviously, it's nominated for Oscars, not Emmys, so it does qualify as a theatrical release, even though it's a Netflix movie. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, I think he did a way better job directing this than Denzel did for Fences. He opens the space up. The use of cinematography as well. The ad, I think stuff like the prologue really works to uh, establish mm-hmm. the film setting. And that obviously is not in the August Wilson thing because the August Wilson, you know, in the play, would the play would be entirely set in the recording studio because that's what yeah. plays are. Although I do think some stuff where it's like, they had a scene where it's like we see Ma Rainey get into like an accident outside the thing, and then she walks inside and she's like, "That car was so bad." I'm like, "Okay, you could have either not give us the car scene or cut this exposition that's clearly like in the August Wilson play, but yeah, we don't need it because we saw it here." But anyway, uh, that's I'll let you go back to talking. But I do want to say, oh, also brag, brag time, Tyler. I don't know if you know this. Uh, one of the plays I saw in New York after I graduated was George C. Wolf directed. I saw oh, nice. Denzel in the Iceman Cometh. Phenomenal. Mm. Also, just mm. seeing Denzel live. Phenomenal. But okay, yeah. we can go back to talking. Yeah, uh, so uh, like like I said, August Wilson plays are heavy on dialogue, and that's not, that, that's not saying that the dialogue is empty, um, because August Wilson's dialogue speaks on so many critical areas 
and in areas that are not um, necessarily spoken on, or if they are, they're briefly touched um, in other in other works. Um, and that's not just theater or film. Um, so, so yeah, I thought thought that this was adapted extremely well for film, and the whole time I was watching it. Um, it it was just like I I felt like I was watching an August Wilson play. Yeah, and I, yeah. you know it it there's just a you're watching it and it's like I think this was this was based off an August Wilson play. This yeah, it's, this yeah. looks like it was direct. Like it. Yeah. My my thing with it, it's kind of interesting. Also with this year in general is um with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, One Night in Miami, uh, and the release of Hamilton on Disney Plus was just kind of oh and what. What the Constitution Needs to Me was also released as a pro shot this year. And watching all of them, I was like, man, I miss theater. Because as much as I like this as a movie, I was like, oh, imagine if I was like in New York watching Chadwick and Viola doing this live. Oh my you know, gosh, that yeah. That would have been like, oh. Because uh, as cool as camera angles can be, I do think this works better as a play. But I still like mm-hmm. the movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, no, that's... Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed... Do you in, enjoyed this film? Do you yeah, think what? it was snubbed at the Oscars for anything? Because uh, it's not nominated um, for adapted screenplay, but that's actually not what I think it's snubbed for. I think it was snubbed in supporting actor. I'm surprised it's not. It was. It's not um, nominated for supporting or for screenplay adaptation. Yeah. Uh, um, well, but I what, think what category do you think? Well, okay. Well, first I want to comment on that. I think the Oscars, uh, going back to what we were talking about with racist institutions and awards bodies, I think the Oscars have this thing where they'll see a movie and give it a uh, comparison in their head and just be like, oh, we only need to nominate one of them. And Mm. One Night in Miami is also a play adaptation that's all pretty much set in one location. Like this is, they nominate One Night in Miami, they nominate Ma Rainey. Uh... my opinion that's why it didn't get nominated is because the academy can't look at both and be like well they'll be they're like we'll do the same so we need to vote for one and one night of Miami came out on top uh on that front but then ma rainey got more nominations overall than one night of miami it just missed adapted and picture both of them missed picture uh yeah which is kind of a yikes that judas and the black messiah is the only uh, black focused film nominated for best picture when last year had so many good of them but i digress i think it was snubbed in supporting uh, I think Glenn Turman in it is fantastic, and the argument could also be for Coleman Domingo. I think that's how you say it, pronounce his name. Both of them are great supporting actors in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Glenn Turman actually won quite a bit of critics' awards for it, so he was in the conversation at one point. But I think gotcha. Netflix only really campaigned Viola and Chadwick. Yeah. Where do you fall on the um, debate? There's a debate that Viola is actually supporting in this, but I actually think she's lead, and she's nominated in lead. Um, yeah, I would, I would put her as, I would put her as lead, and I, I would, even though we spend a lot of time with, um, Bozeman's character, I still could see him as, as being supporting. Ooh, I, um, I disagree there. But, I think Chadwick but, well, is the lead of the like, movie overall. Well, and what, what I'm saying is, like, I can see him as supporting if you want to give, if you want to say Viola is the lead, if you had to pick between the two, oh, I think they're, I, I think they're co-leads if they are. Flips, 
yeah i i think it flips the other way so like yeah that's what my point is is yeah. that you know it, it can go either way but i think at this at this point yeah like you said co-leads is the best is the best word for it yeah um and what i what like sometimes when you when you have co-leads one can out shine the others but i i it's not like i was watching chadwick stuff and i was wanting to see viola davis's stuff you know it was like when chadwick was on screen i was pulled in i was i was present in that moment um which is what theater is about is you know living in in the moment and watching watching this action in the moment and then same thing vice versa for viola davis's parts is when she was on screen um all of her scenes had had a point to them. They all spoke on. Yeah, she was really good. On yes, yes. So it. Yeah, I um, also like. I, the last thing I'll say about Ma Rainey is I like how short it is. Uh, yes. I like that the dialogue is rapid fire, but I also wonder. I don't know. Do you watch? Did you watch it with subtitles? Because I watched it in theaters, so obviously I didn't have that option. I don't know. No, if you I, watched, did, I didn't. I, I didn't watch with with. That's subtitles. probably a good call because I feel like the subtitles would not be able to keep up with the dialogue. You know what mm. I mean? And I'm, I was yeah. curious if you did, because I feel like... You know how like sometimes when you watch something subtitled and it vastly truncates the dialogue? I feel like yeah. that would happen constantly with Bob Ricky's Black Bottom. Uh, but yeah, good movie. Uh, I hope Chadwick wins. As I've said before, I don't actually think he's the best person. On, I think Riz Ahmed is better, but obviously Chadwick will never be up for it again, so I'd be very yeah. happy to see him win uh, the Oscar for it. Uh and also, I don't. I wouldn't mind if Viola won too. I think she's very good in it too. And at some point, I'd like her to win Best Actress because she's the only one for supporting. Uh, but I don't think she will win because, as I've said, Ma Rainey isn't nominated for Best Picture, so that means there probably isn't that much wide support at the Academy for it. Yeah. Outside of, of course, I Chadwick. Uh, I think he's pretty much the biggest lock of Oscar night. Uh, but yeah. Well, unless you want to say, I think Chloe Zhao will at least win one Oscar. I think that would also yeah, be a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I would say if 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 she doesn't go home with an Oscar, I'm gonna be really surprised. Yeah, it's just kind of like okay, uh, but yeah. All right, spoiler alert. Bump. All right, from this point on, we will be discussing the latest episode. The first of- episode. <laughs> the the first episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and. Uh, the possible spoilers for future productions. We do not claim to have knowledge of said future spoilers, but will gladly take full credit if such come true. We do not address any leaks, but if our speculations align with leaks, it's purely coincidence. Also, before we talk about this episode, um, uh, I want to put both of kind of like... Well, first, it's hard to talk about because it's very serious. Um, but... Falcon and Winter Soldier's first episode. Uh, this is a trigger warning, uh, a content warning, more to say, um, that it includes violence against Asian Americans uh, and harassment towards it. And after this week, that stood out to me. So I felt like we need to point that out. And we're also going to put uh, links in the description to places you can both inform yourself about anti Asian racism and, moreover, where you can donate to causes that will fight that cause uh very sad to me very sad week in the news uh yeah i think to pretty much everyone who has a soul but yeah 
but yeah, after that, let's move on to our thoughts on The Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, New World Order, which is a dumb title. Uh, Tyler, what are your thoughts? General thoughts as we start with my, all now. I thought it overall exceeded expectations. Now, in saying that, um, I had my expectations for like a, a buddy cop film which i'm not a fan of buddy cop films um so my expectations wasn't anywhere near a buddy cop movie this episode they didn't even see each other right exactly um so this but it overall exceeded expectations it had a lot more um it spoke well no it didn't speak on certain on certain topics but it brushed on certain topics that i hope it will elaborate on further and furthermore and we don't just get a straight the next five episodes being nothing but action um i also wanted to point out that we have to keep in mind this was set to be released after far from home and black widow and it would have been the first disney plus series if not for um all of the the release dates getting moved around because of covid um, and I feel like that disclaimer is meant so that way I don't keep saying WandaVision was better constantly during this. Well, well, and, and my my thing is like uh, this this particular series uh, right from the get go addresses the post post blip MCU world and uh, and in WandaVision we we get hints of that you know obviously that opening hospital scene um where we first truly meet monica rambo um way way back when uh but like yeah this this one little uh, days when we fought wandavision might end up being truly great instead of just yeah. really good <laughs> uh but but yeah i i did want to want to point that out and it makes more sense as like why they released it when they released it i mean and why we got far from home even though it's well, not in chronological order we got we far got from far home from first home because sony contracts let's yeah. be real here that's because yeah. sony wants the spider-man movie out every two years i'm sure if marvel had the choice i would have gladly said push back far from home more we want endgame to breathe more yeah but yeah. yeah but i'm i'm sure sony wanted to bounce off of in-game yeah. success there but uh well what were your general thoughts uh, if i had to call it something it would be that this is aggressively mediocre um it's kind of what i were was worried about this would be all the way through it uh didn't really transcend my negative expect i had i had both positive expectations of like this is what i want the show to be and negative expectations of what this is what i'm worried it will be and it pretty much gave me the latter uh it's avoiding the questions i was hoping it would address and I think both Bucky and Sam are dull characters before this, and this episode did really nothing for me to change my mind there. Uh, also, the episode is too long. Sorry, Tyler. That's okay. <laughs> okay, I don't want to actually get into this much because maybe later on it will justify the link. But there were a lot of like scenes that could have been cut, in my opinion. And I know you're gonna yeah. be like, "Oh, I was glad this was a long episode because hour-long episodes are better." I'd argue that hour-long episodes are only good. If you have the material for the last hour. If, yeah. say, the first episode of WandaVision was an hour long, I think you'd be like, kill me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh my. Well, yeah, if if the first episode of WandaVision would have been an hour long, I would have wanted the, uh, the, the, 
was it fifties then sixties or sixties? It 70s? was a Dick Van Dyke one. It basically, I would have wanted two decades of you know. Uh, what do you think about it? that? Is basically though what you got? You got that is because they the released them at the same time. But uh, but I I wanted to expand like uh, further expand on what you talked about with the episode length. Um, so yeah, I know that I I constantly I constantly nag about how. I want hour-long content. Um, yes, I want hour-long content, but that's the thing. is like I want content to be with, with that hour. I want characters to be progressing. I, you know, I want things to be happening. The plot needs to thicken. Um, I don't just want scenes for the sake of scenes. And also, um, remember back to, I think it was episode one of WandaVision. Uh, well, one and two. I said that, like, I'm 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 okay with if they tell the story in 30 minutes then yeah I'm good with that. That's still if it leaves me wanting more then they did their job. Yeah, you know? as I as I remember uh, the best episode of WandaVision that we both agreed on is episode 5. And I believe mm-hmm. that episode comes in around like 32 minutes before credits and yeah. that to me felt so packed with story. Yes. Uh, and it still managed to have good jokes and be entertaining, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, yeah. Anyway, it, we're not talking about Wanda. That's the thing is, I feel like we're going to have to have, like, a rule on this thing. that If Danny brings up how WandaVision is better, uh, you got to cancel me. Because basically, <laughs> because it's just like... I'll censor you. I'll just beep, beep this Well, it's because I, I think... Uh, I'll get into this a bit more. Well, you know what? I can get into it now because I actually don't have it as a note. Is I have always think that the Earth set Marvel stuff is very blah unless they have a fantasy element to it, which uh, WandaVision did. You know, WandaVision has the witch stuff. Mm. Um, I think the grounded in reality MCU stuff is stuff I've lost interest in quite a... Reality in air quotes. Uh Something I've lost interest in quite a while ago, and that seems to be what the show's gonna be, which is fine for its fans, but that means you guys are gonna have to deal with Grumpy Danny for the next five weeks. Uh, <laughs> I I think I think maybe, and this is just me proposing this, but maybe the reason why you are kind of kind of done done with Earth based MCU, uh, where it's more, where it's a little, just a lot more. I I want to say reality based. It doesn't have that fantasy element. Um, I think it's because it seems that they, when they do something that doesn't have a fantasy element element to it, we, it gets to be to where it's more of just a straight action flick. Yeah, and I think there's there's more to it too. I think, and I'll get into this more later because I have it in my notes. Is I think Earth based M- oh Wakanda does Wakanda also doesn't count for. Because Wakanda is sci-fi fantasy, you know what I mean? It, it's different. It doesn't count. Well, yeah, because of the vibranium. Well, even, like, it's it's a... And the it's like world. a fantasy world, really, just that's yeah. set on Earth. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, the issue I have with Earth-based... And Black Panther actually has this issue, too, is I think Marvel often tries to tackle themes that it's not equipped to on Earth. Uh, and we'll see if they pay off this time. I have, I'm very negative because I don't think they've ever paid off well when they're on Earth. Uh, as I've said, I think the only Marvel movies that really pay off their themes well are Thor Ragnarok and the Guardians 2. So, and that includes Black Panther. Because, as I said, Black Panther also gets into real-world stuff. Uh, and actually, okay, we'll get into this more when we do a Black Panther episode. I've mentioned it here before. It's like, I think all the stuff of Killmonger, 
and with T'Challa is great in Black Panther. I think the stuff with Ross is very, very ill thought out. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah. what my issue is there. And that's what my issue is here. Uh, I can already tell a bit of it. So we could move on and actually dig into the episode a bit. Yeah, so uh, starting out, um, I know last week I talked about how I'd love for some tech continuity. And we got it. Red Wing's back. Um, so yay, Red Wing. That's my note. Um, I was just kind of kind of glad to see that we had, had that back. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then yeah, Red Wing's I cool. To, uh, I wanted to... Uh, did you have anything to say on that? No. Nope. All right, so uh, moving on. Uh, we are also in a very clear post-superhero world. Um, and I, I say that because, one, I thought it was weird when um, Falcon is on that plane and the pilot's like, oh, I think I just saw something. And, like, their their planet was just invaded by an army of aliens. I and it's it's been that way since 2012 you know when new york was invaded by an army of aliens and then in 2023 in endgame when thanos invaded with his army and wait, wait. it's just oh, yeah. it's just on. very in a world full of superheroes it's just very weird that uh that the the guy who talks with the pilot the pilot's like i saw i saw someone on the front of the uh on the front of the plane and the other guy's just like oh i could kill you and i'm i'm like yeah that's that's weird yeah i also thought like i also think it's kind of weird i think this episode i feel like i could excuse that as being like well falcon's not that big of a avenger but then later on the episode the lone deal is like oh my god it's falcon my favorite right and it's like okay so i don't mind there being the inconsistency because i don't think it's a real problem but I think yeah. it's weird that it's framed in such a way that the excuse I could give here, I can't give. Um, yeah. Uh, I hated yeah, this. It, it, was, it wasn't It wasn't. more of a problem. It was It was just really weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I hated uh, this set piece. Uh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's a post... I say post-superhero world because we really don't have like obviously cap and iron man are they're dead yeah uh, um black widow dead and r.i.p hawkeye black is presumably dead. retired with family right and uh, then black hulk's, panther's a king hulk's off doing hulk stuff Thor's um, off i planet. imagine science stuff valkyrie and, if she know, counts as a queen king she's king of asgard sorry my bad uh, yeah she, uh, King Wakanda, as I already said, T'Challa, so, Doctor Strange, and Wanda are doing whatever right now. You know, yeah. yeah. So they don't, they don't really have. We don't really have a a world of of superheroes. And and I to think jump ahead a bit, I'm surprised that's, that's not mentioned at the end. Yeah, yeah, with uh, the U.S. agent uh, introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very weird that they're like they're just like we need a new symbol for Captain America, and he's like you should need a symbol for everyone, and also like. As far as we know, right? Well, no, no, because right, no, they should still have Spider Man because this is set before Far From Home still. Yeah. So. But yeah, and one of the it. reasons, one of the reasons that uh, Sam Jackson goes to, and I say Sam Jackson in in air quotes here because we know the reveal, but uh, 
the reason why Sam Jackson goes to Spider-Man and he's like, literally, you are the only guy, <laughs> you know, the only superhero right now. Um, so, so hopefully so it yeah, ends I with just... Bucky and a Sam Wilson dying, so that makes sense for canon, right? <laughs> uh, anyways, um, what did you think about the first fight? As I said, I hated it. Um, my issue is, so... As we said before, this is five years post, not five years, six months post Endgame. It's five years. I, keep, I always say five years because, you know, the five-year gap in Endgame. Yep. So this is set between WandaVision and Far From Home. Yes. Um, which makes it nice that WandaVision came out first. Yay! Yeah. Anyway, uh, there's no sense when characters go like, ah, you can't go to Libya, you can't go in that airspace. Because... At this point, the MCU is no longer a contemporary reflection of our real world. This episode takes place three years in the future in a world with a radically different world of incident. I know people want to say, like, uh, COVID's kind of like the snap. I, I think that's incredibly offensive. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, but I'm giving it airtime because I know I've seen people say that. Yeah, I think to yeah. compare the two of them is disgusting. Uh, so don't do it if you ever want to be on this podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but my point is, we hear later on in the episode that the world really came together during the blip. Uh, but meanwhile, they're like, oh, you can't go into Libya because that would really complicate things. So I was like, which is it? Like, what, like, you know, what is it? Which is it? Is it that the world came together in times of crisis? Or is it that Libya's like a war-torn state? What is it? It You can't give me these geopolitics in the middle of a fight and be like, this seriously means something to the stakes when it doesn't. I didn't yeah, even catch who he was trying to save. What? They expect us to just accept it because a character says, you know, it, and there's no real reason given for that. And especially, yeah, like what you had said, how, like, the setting of of this show. And you but, know what, what I just thought of that would make this, like, would make me immediately buy into it and be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Is you know what they could have said? They could have said, like, oh, you're re- reaching Wakandan airspace. And I would immediately be like, oh, of course they can't go there. They have, like, a giant shield set up for people who, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like something like yeah. that. That would have been so much, like, I would immediately be like, oh, okay. But with Libya, I was like, what's wrong with Libya? Like, you know, I assume that the MCU, uh, since it never t- touches on geopolitics, I assume they don't have issues like we do in our world related where we can just say a country be like, oh, okay, that's dangerous. And I'm not saying that Libya is, like, naturally dangerous or anything but it's clear that's what the line is meant to be that is what your yeah. reaction is supposed to be the line is like oh libya scary place which is problematic in its own way but i don't want to get into that but yeah uh, i think the set piece sucks because there's no sense of stakes there's no sense of reason on why we need to really save the guy other than well i can assume we need to save the guy just because that's what superheroes do but yeah, yeah this I think came the set off as just another it came off as just another mission yeah exactly which is yeah i guess it makes sense to launch a show with but yeah it's whatever i did like the return of bat truck though i thought that was fun that he's here. yeah yeah that was that was nice nice to see that yeah. um bad sequence bad. <laughs> bad uh so yeah speaking of that scene falcon's now working with the u.s government which is a very different take than what we had in civil war which we covered last week so is he following the accords now uh, yeah, it, it's it's the just question very, is is how weird. we need a statement from the MCU. Hopefully, we'll get it next episode because I have a feeling next episode we'll see a U.S. agent talking to like I don't think it's going to take a while for or 
Sam and Bucky to talk to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, I think he would want to talk to the like John Walker would want to talk to them because that's. I don't think he wants to be viewed as a bad Captain America. You know what I mean? Like that'd be mm-hmm. that would be very. That'd be so bad if he's like, I don't need to talk to you guys because it's like, well, I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to get too much into that speculation because we'll see. But if it is like that, it will remove any nuance the show could have. If he's mm-hmm. immediately, obviously, like a bad person or like just a jerk. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, hopefully we get it more expressly stated how much the Accords are into effect. Because like I said, I thought in WandaVision they said the Accords were still around. Uh, in which case... Falcon should be still against them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting to know how many countries are still aligned with the with the accords and how many still enforce it or have changed their minds post blip. Yeah, I <sighs> Okay. I'm pretty much laying out all my problems with the episode like first and forehand because it's just like to me the problems with this show so far just seem to be conceptual it has nothing to do with like the actual like scene by scene basis it has more yeah. to do with me saying like oh so this is what this show like is giving me as its basis ground line reality and i don't buy it uh here it's like where's the accountability here not for falcon breaking the sokovia Accords, but for falcon's own sense of moral code is why would he rejoin the air force after the events of the last movies he's been in because again he like cap saw a massive government agency deal with it actually being a neo-nazi organization then he went on the run because he didn't want to do the same thing with the un which again makes sense in this world where we see power corrupts major institutions several times and then now that Cap's gone, he's like, yeah, now I can trust the military again. And it's just like, why? And I understand that the MCU has never once painted the military as the bad guy. It's always these other organizations that don't have real-world analogs that are bad. So that way the real Air Force comes off as good. Uh, there's a big discussion to be had there uh, that I'm going to acknowledge now. Maybe later on in the road we'll get down on it, but it might be too much to get into. Is that the, and this, is, this was trending a bit earlier this month. Uh, with WandaVision, um, and that's that the U.S. government, uh, Department of Defense, pays Marvel and subsidizes some of their stuff to basically, uh, the way they put it is ensure accurate depictions of the military, but the mm-hmm. real thing is is they want to make sure there's no anti-military stuff in it. And to be clear, I am not anti-military, but I think boxing yourself in story-wise what you need to do with money from an organization that clearly wants to depict themselves in the most positive manner is going to prevent you from seriously addressing themes that I think this show wants to address in particular in regards to the African-American experience being in the military. Yeah. Uh, also, again, it makes no sense for Falcon to rejoin. It just doesn't. Because um, it is explicitly said he's in the Air Force. Uh, I also think militaristic superheroes are dull. Uh, I think that to me, I'm more interested in seeing superheroes save normal people and figure out their yeah. missions on their own. I'm well, that's sure what the makes Spider-Man. Actually... What? That's what makes Spider-Man so intriguing for people. And that's in, why I'm excited for Miss Marvel. Most of man. the shows we have less than fear. I'm excited most for Miss Marvel because I think that will be like people have always been like, why isn't Spider-Man a live-action TV show? And it's not because he's so well known. But Miss Marvel, I think, will basically be like that, and that's why yeah. I'm really hyped to see it. 
Um, I think Miss Marvel's going to be exactly what I want out of Disney Plus. Um, but anyway, uh, but yeah, I'm just like, who cares? <laughs> That's really what it is. Is I'm like, God, I, I really don't care about this guy going on military missions uh, with a jetpack because that's basically what it is and as you said it's more like it's an action movie than it's mm-hmm. like a superhero movie but yeah but uh but yeah i did while we're while we're talking about about that scene we get an introduction to the uh character torres um who is actually in the comics he becomes falcon after falcon becomes captain america um so bit of foreshadowing who knows but uh, it's a nice little little Easter egg there. I thought it was interesting when I heard about that uh, because I didn't know the uh, actor, and usually like when they cast an actor for something like that. Oh, I do know this actor. Oh wow, sorry. <laughs> uh, he's on a. Uh, he's in. Uh, he's one of the. Oh, he's not in the leads, but he's on on the block, so I don't know him that well. On the Block is an Netflix show that I've watched like one or two episodes of. Mm. Uh, but I guess I don't know him. Yeah, but my point is, I've usually when they cast someone like that, they expect they cast someone bigger. Like, yeah. in my opinion, the the comparison would be uh, Tiana Paris if he is going to become the next Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Tiana Harris isn't big, she is definitely an up and comer. Like, she's the lead of the upcoming. Uh, what do you call it? She's the lead of the she's the lead of the Candyman reboot that uh, Jordan Peele wrote and is producing, and it's from the director of Captain Marvel too, Nia DaCosta. Uh, but my point is, this actor, uh, if you look at his page of what he's been in so far, it's mostly guest spots on TV, and he's going to be in Top Gun Maverick as an unnamed character. So, yeah, he doesn't seem to be a big deal yet, but maybe they're just betting big on him, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think actually the place the MCU I think it's oh and he's from Chicago I gotta support him uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the MCU needs to have more uh, Latin American uh, representation or mm-hmm. uh, yeah you know what I mean Hispanic yeah. representation but I, and I think also um, something that the Disney Disney Plus side of the MCU is good for is to start it's a good testing grounds for for characters um and it is a really good opportunity for actors to to start because obviously the with how interconnected the mcu is these disney plus shows characters who appear on these disney plus shows have have a good chance of appearing in a marvel movie depending on the role that they're playing but just look at at uh tiona paris you know um, how we know she's going to be in Captain Marvel 2 and after she was on, on WandaVision. Alright, so moving on. So to paraphrase Falcon, uh, when one group gains, another loses. I hope that we elaborate on that more moving on because that that can be very, it can be a very pointed um, comment and, you know, saying as this is us just starting to introduce um, something that we're wanting to discuss more in the in the show. I don't expect them to because, like I said, this seems very action oriented. Um, but uh, I, yeah. I, I have like the. I actually think that line is kind of like, I don't know. 
I get what it means. It kind of reminds me of the line in Avengers 1 that I always quote as being, like, a really dumb line out of context. Like, not dumb, but, like, it's very obvious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think of the line in Avengers 1 where Hawkeye's like, so that thing works as a door, right? Well, doors open from both sides. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, it makes sense in context, but really, like, out of context, it's like, yeah. I guess they do. Okay, what's your point? Thank, thank uh, you for learning how to operate doors, Hawkeye. <laughs> I want to. I want to quote something I saw on Twitter last night, which is from at Lacking Saint. This tweet went semi-viral, and it goes, "Why did the dude explain the bad guys of Falcon and Winter Soldier just say?" This is their direct quote. They're called flag smashers. They think life is better than their, the blip. They want a world unified without borders. How is that a coherent sentence? How is that a coherent <laughs> statement? And then he followed it up with, they're called dog kickers. They think cats should rule the world. They want to put an end to the prison industrial complex. <laughs> like, what do any of those have to do with each other? <laughs> um, and that leads me to my point, which is, why is globalism inherently bad in a post-snap world? Uh, and here's this is what's great, Tyler, uh, is that WandaVision, all we talked about is grief and the acceptance of losing someone we love. With this, I get to go into geopolitical politics and uh, <laughs> schools of thought involving uh, government. Because uh, to me, the impression I get from these flag smashers is that they're intended to be anarchists who want to destroy the nations of the world because they came together during the snap. My argument would be, why is this bad? If the world had peace during the snap because people were gone and the peace went away now that we have people back, why shouldn't we strive to have the peace return? Why is the idea of globalism inherently bad in this world? Uh, yeah. To me, so far from what the Flag Smashers have said, is they sound like they have good points. And furthermore, knowing that Zemo is in the show and knowing that US Agents is in the show, I don't think they're going to be our main bad guys. So hopefully... Eventually, this show is like, okay, but why is this bad? And obviously, the answer why there's bad is the same reason why Killmonger is bad in Black Panther. Killmonger is right in Black Panther. However, uh, he is also someone who shoots his girlfriend to get on a plane. Or someone who uh, is willing to kill everyone in Wakanda to become king. Uh, so, it's like... It's, it's the matter points, of reaching his objective. It, yeah, it's like yeah. these people have good points that are probably too controversial to include in a property like this, and so they make them crazy. Mm. Uh, that's the thing, and that's an issue the MCU has. Uh, maybe they won't do that with the Flag Smashers. I don't think they're our main bad guys. I think Zemo might be our I actually don't think our Zemo's. I think our main bad guy is going to be Wyatt Russell still. Uh, uh, but yeah. Um, however, this is where the Flag Smashers... Uh, which, by the way, hysterical name for an organization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I get that there's a character in the comics out. named Flag Smasher, but, gee, <laughs> that is such a <laughs> dumb name. Uh, but, so, what I had hoped Falcon and Winter Soldier was going to be when it was first announced, uh, and after Endgame came out, was I was hoping that the show was going to be about Falcon and Winter Soldier returning to a world of espionage after being gone for five years and being completely out of their depth on how things had changed. And my hope had been, and we still might get this, is that Zemo had been around, but had not been blipped. And Zemo himself yeah. has 
gotten the power in those five years, and Falcon Winter Soldier trying to keep up. And my dream version of this show is that there is no U.S. government involved. It's just the two of them on a mission to stop Zemo because they know what Zemo is capable of. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not getting that show because the U.S. government is already heavily involved in the story of Falcon with him being in the Air Force. Yeah. Uh, but moreover, it looks like the Flag Smashers, their conflict is about the return from the blip. And they've come to power in the last six months after Falcon and Winter Soldier have been around. And to me, this is such a missed opportunity that if we're going to have these characters, these bad guys, this terrorist organization that has been around when Falcon and Winter Soldier are here. Because that, to me, is what you make your show about people who are blipped to be about. It's like, what is gone with the book? With the exception, of course, I know the argument might be, well, Wanda was blipped too, Danny. I'm like, okay, yeah, but Wanda's show is obviously about what it is. Falcon and Winter Soldier being, as we've said, a part of the realistic MCU, it should be about how Earth dealt with the snap. And I know you're going to say that this episode dealt with how Earth dealt with the snap. And sure, it did, but I think the snap's... Uh, repercussions would obviously play out in a global stance in mm-hmm. a term of global crime and terrorist organizations in a way that this show would have been the one to ideally uh, investigate. However, we see clearly that the main organization we're going to deal with this show has to do a, a response to the return. And that's something inherently just made me go like, ah, this show is not what I want it to be. And I know Zemo could still be around here and give me what I want. But yeah. my point is is that the Flag Smashers are clearly going to be the organizational bad guys we're dealing with. If mm-hmm. Zemo's here and he's not affiliated with them, he's going to be his own rogue agent. You know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, whereas I had hoped, as I said, to clarify, what I had hoped was it would have been Zemo leading his own organization that had come to power during the five years. Very clear I'm not getting that. And I know I, know I always say we can't critique a show on not giving us what we want. But to me, this is here. This is the one time the MCU can really examine the snap in this way, and it looks like they're not gonna do it. And that to me just inherently is so like, well, I don't know why you made this show then. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> that well, that is my yeah. key issue with the premise of the show. Well, because we do we do need that was obviously a significant significant time um, in the MCU, um, and uh, like Wandavision, we didn't dis you know discuss that but it also makes sense to not discuss it um or go into detail with it as much because like you said wanda was blipped so she was blipped in in infinity war right after she lost vision and then when she comes back she comes back into a world that's still without vision so yeah the only issue wanda has in my opinion of not engaging with the blip is uh stuff where it's like um stuff with monica I well, think, yeah. I was actually going to say the stuff with Jimmy. The fact that Jimmy's oh. just like, I'm looking for a missing persons case. And it's like, all right, well, three weeks ago, everyone came back. Why do you, why do you care <laughs> about this? Why is this so urgent? They're probably visiting their loved ones or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's stuff like that. Or like most of the, a lot of the sort of stuff, as you said, uh, it doesn't really, or, or even like Wanda coming in. Like I, as I said, remember at the end of the finale with Dottie, where Dottie's like, I just want to see my daughter. Like, what if her daughter was blipped? And, like, mm-hmm. she just got her back and immediately was taken from her. And none of that stuff is really addressed. Yeah. But, again, though, there the focus is on Wanda. Mm-hmm. Here the focus is on Falcon and Winter Soldier, which, even though they're blipped, their role within the MCU is to be basically global spies. 
where the world of espionage, obviously, you need to be up to date on everything that's going on everywhere. And they shouldn't be, obviously, because they've been gone for five years. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't look like this show really cares about it, because, as I said, the main terrorist organization seems to have come to light post-return. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is disappointing to me. As I said, it's just, this isn't what I wanted. And I... I'm totally at a loss of when else they could address this in any of the shows they've announced. Other than, as I've said, if they want to do the Seth Wakanda show during the five years. But even then, it wouldn't deal with the return well. Right. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will say, I thought the episode did well in capturing the ghost of Cap. Um, kind of the vacancy of, of Captain America. The museum scene did really well with that. I wanted Gary Sinise how, to come back. How much he meant do what? I wanted Gary Sinise uh, to come oh, back. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, I I thought the episode did well in that, and it didn't dwell on it too much because this could have been this could have been a total. I miss him. I miss Cap. I miss. Hey, remember this time that we were with Cap? Hey, you know it could have been totally focused on Captain America, and I'm glad that it's that it's not. Um, and I, we definitely need to be focusing on, obviously, the Falcon and the, Win- and the Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that scene is interesting. I think it's weird, though, that Don Cheadle is there. Um, I mean, I get why he's there, because as yeah. we just said, uh, this show is weirdly focused on Falcon being now a member of the military, and... Rhodey is obviously our go-to military guy in the MCU, and he's again, the Air Force. Shows... Well, he's the Air Force veteran, and that's yeah. you know well, that's where Falcon is. Carol Danvers is the Air Force veteran. That, no. <laughs> is the real uh, is the real OG, but uh, I like the idea that he is there. I though am just kind of like I don't know. It's kind of this weird thing where like so these shows right they're all meant to kind of fill. The MCU is now dealing with the loss of three of its most, like, cornerstone heroes, mm-hmm. with the fourth one being off-planet. And who knows what's going on with Hulk. And I'm, of course, referring to Black Widow, Cap, and Iron Man as the three main ones. Yeah. Uh, so, now we have all these side characters who they don't know what to do with. And it makes sense that Falcon and War Machine would be friends, but it kind of goes back to that thing where... Um, I don't know if we've really talked about this before, actually, another thing about it, is, like, the MCU will sometimes do these, like, character interactions and give it to us, and it'll be like, these guys have always really known each other, and it's like, no, they haven't. Yeah. Uh, like, even if you look at, even if you look at Sam and Bucky in this, it's like, no, they haven't really interacted much at all. Right. Uh, they interacted as enemies in Winter Soldier, and then in Civil War, somewhat as friends, but then immediately after Civil War, Bucky goes into, uh storage yeah Bucky goes in the storage and, and then uh, uh falcon was in the raft at that time and well no and, well and in the time but then out, yeah know. immediately busted out and hanging out with cap and not with and then he well Bucky. and then he goes into like the secret avengers stint that's what i mean yeah yeah he's yeah. in secret avengers but bucky's frozen at the time or bucky's hanging out in wakanda at the time yeah uh but yeah that's the thing is it's like okay so this don Cheadle thing uh, I like that he's here, but I don't get why 
we really see them as friends. You know well, what I mean? I, I think I I it didn't come. Was off Don Cheadle being... on the Avengers team in between Ultron and Civil War? I can't remember. Don Cheadle, um, he's featured in the Avengers um, Age of Ultron, that last scene where Cap assembles everybody. Um, mm, okay. I, be- I believe he is. And uh, and he's also in the infight of Ultron. And, but oh, I know he's he in the infight is, of Ultron. He's not at the beginning of... But Falcon of... isn't. No, I think Falcon Falcon's... isn't in the infight of Ultron. No, Falcon's Just... not in that infight, but he is at the end of Age of Ultron. Yeah, 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 at the end of the movie. Yeah, because yeah. he was working on the missing persons case the whole time during Ultron. Yeah, and he checked out Westview and he couldn't find Bucky there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, but no, I hope it, it didn't, in that scene, it didn't come off as if, uh, as if War Machine and Falcon are friends. It came off to me more as Cheadle's more of a, a mentor type figure to, um, to Mackie. Uh, I, I hope we get more Cheadle and I think he might be the voice of reason for for falcon um i'm really hoping that he is kind of kind similar to how he was the voice of reason for tony um where he you know um iron man 2 he was kind of like tony get your crap together you know um the government's willing to come down here and take all your suits um but uh yeah no i i like you said i I don't want any forced relationships so i really hope that we end up um, going into going it like we develop rather than we're just thrown into this relation rela- uh, relationship with uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon. But uh, I thought that the show, speaking of the museum part, uh, I thought that the show excelled at its slower parts, um, and I I think it's good that we're finally getting some some downtime with Bucky. I think we really need to see Bucky's internal struggles because um, he's been carrying around lots of weight, and he says in there, uh, and this is paraphrasing paraphrasing again, but I've just been bouncing around from fight to fight, and it's kind of like yeah, you know, he did that since uh, the train incident in Captain America: First Avenger. They, you know, Hydra made him a weapon, and then he just kind of just he was just pulled out of. Um, stasis to to go from fight to fight just to do whatever mission. I will um, say the one he truly to. fun part of this episode to me was during the therapist scene where he's saying about how he made uh, amends. And yeah, it's like it's very ed- it's edited like a trailer to me, but I didn't care because I thought it was fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I really liked when he was telling the story of how. Because I was expecting it to go differently. I was expecting him to be lying to the therapist. but well, the he was kind of. He's like, oh, I didn't hurt him. <laughs> I didn't hurt him, yeah. And then uh, he's... And it, the fact that like he went through this whole thing, he's like, hey, remember me? And it's like, oh, crap. He's going he's gonna to kill her. And then, uh, and then he's just like, I'm making amends, and I want you to know that I forgive you. And by the way, you're being arrested. And I just... Yeah. Uh, but uh, this, I think this show ha- with Bucky, I think this show has the opportunity to speak on the long-term effects of war in the human psyche, which is something that 
we've not necessarily got um, before. We've touched on it with Bucky in the past, um, but uh, but yeah, no, I think that we could, we could get into that. So- well, and we we discuss it with um, uh, Falcon leading the. Uh, I don't want to say therapy sessions, leading the group discussions, you know, in the basement of that church um, in Winter Soldier. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I hope it does, too. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't have much to say there, Uh, but I I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think it'll be (laughs) I, I, I make no secret of how much Bucky bores me as a character but mm-hmm. I think Sebastian Stan gave him more life than he's ever had before in this yeah yeah uh, the next point that I wanted to discuss was Bucky sleeping on the floor um and this is more of a callback to Captain America Winter Soldier at the very beginning when Falcon talks to Cap and says it's the bed it's your bed you can't you know can't get comfortable in your bed you would sleep on rocks you know while serving in the military but that's a good you know, point okay now your bed's yeah. too comfortable and I so i that. think i think that's that's one point of where bucky and falcon can find um can find commonalities but uh are they gonna sleep together on the floor uh, that's, that's not what i was suggesting especially not after last week's uh, ship name that you and Kevin <laughs> so wanted to discuss, but uh, but yeah. What, what's no, so wrong I... about Sucky? <laughs> sure. What do you think I was gonna say? You... <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I just want I wanted to point that I wanted to point that out, and uh, and yeah. So uh, I see you got a next note about the cinematography. Oh, yeah. So, remember how last week you talked about MCU cinematography and me and Kevin Clown, uh, we we pretty much sacked you? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I think this cinematography is aggressively bad at points, which just surprises me, because I remember some shots in the trailer, I was like, wow, that looks pretty good for Marvel. Uh, In particular, the therapist scene. Uh, I legitimately missed half the dialogue in the therapist scene because the cinematography was distracting me so much. Uh, the obnoxious zooms and fisheye lenses, uh, the weird Wes Anderson-esque shots of Bucky that were poppered in there. There was no master shot of the two of them talking. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm saying because I'm using a lot of... No, I I have an idea. Yeah, yeah. I have an idea. Uh, the, it was just so distracting. It was style over functionality. Uh, mm. and I couldn't deal with it. I was literally like, I'm missing half the dialogue. I don't watch with subtitles. Uh, normally I do, as I've said with movies, like when we were talking about Ma Rainey. Yeah. But for this, I don't. Because I like watching these Marvel things like that are Marvel movies. And obviously, when I watch a Marvel movie for the first time, it doesn't have subtitles in it. Because I'm watching it in the theater. Um, yeah. But yeah. What did you think of cinematography? Was it better um, than Civil War? I don't really know. I didn't pay attention to that part. Wait, you didn't? That, Wait, well, okay, okay. You do know what I'm talking about, though, right? The therapist scene was like, there was no, no general I shot of the two of them talking. It was, yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was just very, it was very choppy. Um, and I felt for the first scene that we we get Bucky in this series... 
I was like, we need to spend a little more time with him. I My thought, thing was is like rather than just chop, chop, chop. And the dialogue was kind of just repetitive as well. Why? I didn't understand the dialogue. I want. I, I want to put. I, I want like you to kind of get to where I am more, or at least understand what I'm getting. At. It's like imagine if you would, if that therapist scene was projected on a big screen. I actually think most of the Wandavision stuff, it was if it was projected on a big screen, would look good. Even the four three sitcom stuff, I think mm-hmm. it's shot very clearly with intent. Uh, and then obviously later on, it's shot just like a normal MCU movie where it's not distracted. This was like trying to me it's like they're trying to show off like how off kilter it is but it yeah. doesn't work because to me i felt like the exposition was important to hear and i couldn't hear it because i was so busy going my mind was just like why did you shoot it like this mm. yeah gotcha yeah gotcha yeah see this is this is where this is a lot more of your field yeah to to get there. into um because i'm i'm much more associated with uh with with directing and like storytelling is you know well um, even in terms of direction i would say to me the point of this cinematography was to distract from what you said was repetitive dialogue uh, yeah but to me it's directed to the point where i was like well even the dialogue is repetitive i want to hear it and i mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the sound of it it literally just has to be like why why is the frame halfway taken up a bucky's eye like what and he's just delivering normal dialogue and why is this being shot shot reverse shot and we're just we're ludicrously close to their faces yeah i hated it yeah i think i think the the shots of being close close up like that it's it's very much like how I, i mean well no i won't ask that um when it when you're directing a a play to move characters to the very front of the stage, you know, to where yeah. like if they take one more step, they're out in the audience. That is a very personal space between the, between the uh, audience and oh. the scene. So like to, so moving the camera up into these super zoom shots up on the face, that's a very intimate space. Yeah. And I feel like we didn't earn that just yet and moreover you know? in my opinion the zooms on the face were just like it was their profile it wasn't us actually seeing their reactions it was just like yeah. bucky's eye his nose and the bottom of his mouth and it's like okay what is the intent here because half the right. screen is negative space mm-hmm. and it's just uh, uh also well it's a chance to show off some bokeh that's what it is <laughs> i wish um I wish there was a way to do what you're saying more in films, uh, and I want to, I want to just do a quick sidebar there and discuss uh, and brag a bit about uh, the George C. Wolf play I saw, which has the one of the most brilliant note, med, things I've ever seen of that. Uh, how I would describe the George C. Wolf show, and this will make more sense to the listeners from SIU, is it is what uh, a Shagoon show with an unlimited budget would look like. The one I saw, Iceman Cometh. Mm, um, yeah which is good like that's if people yes. who don't know who yeah. is, that's a very good thing uh but anyway uh there's a sequence and i can say this because it's not a spoiler because you'll never see this production i don't think it was recorded professionally is at the end of ice and i can spoil iceman cometh because it's like over 100 years old it's a really old play uh at the end of iceman cometh the character that denzel plays basically has this long 15 minute monologue 
where he admits that the reason why he's been so happy and like talking about how people should be positive about life is because he killed his wife uh Mm. and it's like he's justifying it and i think most directors would do it like the guy going like i did it because she earned it like you know what i mean like very like yeah unhinged what george c wolf did is he had denzel take a chair on the stage prop it at the very front of the audience sit down at it and just make eye contact with people and he like Mm, give it with like guilt but like yeah yeah it's very much like a I knew what I did was wrong, but I had to do it. And please, please understand where I'm coming from. Please, I need you so that way I feel peace with myself. And obviously the audience isn't going to give it to him. It blew my mind. And it was such a good directing choice. Uh, I wanted to brag about that. It has nothing to do about yeah. the Winter Soldier. But it's it's relevant to our Greenham discussion earlier because George C. Wolfe. Uh, yeah, and exactly. I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom also as a movie did a good job translating that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Particularly when Chadwick had his monologues. Um, very well done, uh, and I think not that I, I don't I don't think this should be compared to a George C. Wolf play or an August Wilson play, uh, but to compare it to something else is um the Five Bloods has a moment like that that's kind of like what you're saying you were hoping this would be, uh, yeah, and I wish that this had done something more like that if it was aiming for that like for ex- oh, I guess an example I could give is imagine if you were that these were like addresses to the camera. Like, mm-hmm. the camera was just the place of Bucky, and the camera was just the place of the therapist in the shot reverse shot. Yeah. I think that would work better for the style they're aiming for than this weird taking up half the frame type of thing. Yeah. But yeah. There's there's cinematography talk with Danny, uh, which also became <laughs> theater talk with Danny. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think we should talk about theater more on this show. <laughs> Forget yeah. the MCU. Let's talk about theater. Anyway, <laughs> or or we can combine the two and talk about Marvel theater and talk about that Spider-Man <laughs> musical. <laughs> hey, actually, um, how do you know right now that the guest we're gonna have on the next guest we're gonna have the I went with him to see Hades Town on Broadway. It was the second Broadway show he'd ever seen. The first was Spider-Man, so we yeah. can pick his brain on it if we want to because he's seen and it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so. One thing that was very confusing, I don't think they spent enough time on it, but they kept, like, bringing it up. Anytime that Torres was on screen, it seemed, um, they'd bring up this app that he was using to, and, like, it, the this app that uses the camera to find ha- a hand around. I'm so confused. I don't even know how to describe it. But, I yeah, I didn't get it either. Yeah. I was thinking maybe it was like the terrorist dark web app, so they could meet up. But it was yeah. also like okay, so then how did and I, and I don't I, okay. I'm mean, like how do you get a hold of it? But I also like I don't want that exposition. I would just like more context, right? <laughs> like yeah, it was like very... even when he's talking to Falcon, be like yeah, I was using this so app. Weird. Like you know, like if you just yeah exposition it out afterwards, I would have been okay with it. But it was just kind of like okay. And maybe it'll be a grand reveal later on, but it doesn't make any sense because Torres is using it, right? If it was yeah, Flag Smasher <laughs> was using it, I guess I could like buy like, oh, okay, it's a secret for now. It's being mystery boxed. But yeah, I didn't get it either. It was weird. Yeah, it was it was really weird. But I felt like we couldn't pass it over because I, unfortunately, I think it's gonna be something that leads to a bigger plot point yeah. later down the road. Yeah. I, I hope not in 
to me, it didn't do a very good job of setting it up because, of course, after the episode, I still don't know what it is. Yeah. Um. So, but uh, but yeah, that that brings us to our next point, which uh, you wanted to talk about. Yeah. There's the um scene in the restaurant with Bucky making amends. Um, we kind of mentioned this in our uh, spoiler. I don't really want to get too much into it because I don't think we're the people to talk about it. But I felt like this episode had an accidentally timely storyline with the harassment of Asian Americans that I was not a fan of at all. Uh, but again, mm-hmm. we're really not the people to talk about it. But to me, it, right. just, uh, it did distract me and it just got me remind reminded me of the events this week that just like they're horrible. But that's not why I'm bringing it up now. I'm bringing it up because so there's a line in the scene. Where to me, it felt very much like it was trying to get to that, like, what is grief but love persevering viralness of profanity? And that's the, the, a widower has lost a a wife and uh, a child who's lost their parents is an orphan, but there's no word for a parent who's lost a child. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm like, where have I heard this line before? Because I knew I'd heard it before recently. And I looked it up and it was in this awful awful movie i saw a few weeks ago called my zoe which i don't blame if you haven't heard about it on this podcast it's very like indie it only played the theaters here for a week and i gotta say that if you somehow pull off being kicked out of the movie theaters after one week of showing during the pandemic that's pretty pretty insane because like you know there's not really much product in the movie theater right yeah. now like you have yeah. to be especially bad to be pulled so early uh but the reason why I think it's relevant to bring it up here is because in the movie it's written by Julie Delpy, who has is an MCU alum, but she's also a she played Black Widow's teacher in Age of Ultron. She's it's actually really weird. She's in Age of Ultron. She's in it for like a minute, and yeah. like she's a very well regarded actress on the international stage and the indie stage, and like she's in it and she's barely in it and it doesn't make any sense because she's way too big for the role she's in even if you don't know like you wouldn't know who he is and most mainstream people wouldn't know what she, who she is but she has an Oscar nom for writing mm-hmm. I think she might have multiple Oscar noms for writing um, she did the before trilogy with Richard Linklater uh, again I, I'm sure that doesn't ring a bell but Richard Linklater one of the best directors working Highly recommend you check out some of his movies, Tyler, if you haven't. I guarantee you've seen at least one of them. He directed School of Rock. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Once but that's his only time. like mainstream movie. The rest of his stuff is pretty indie. But anyway, mm. in the movie, Julie Delpy says the line to... Uh, I'm going to spoil My Zoe right now, a movie you've never heard of. So, My Zoe... <laughs> I almost chose it for my Green Room movie a few weeks ago. <laughs> because it... It's kind of like a writer's odyssey where it takes such a turn. Uh, really, turn back if you, skip ahead a minute or two if you don't want to hear this. Because if you're gonna watch my Zoe, you should go into it blind. But so my Zoe, the first hour of it is a grueling character drama about a parent, two parents who are getting divorced, but then their daughter has a brain hemorrhage. It slowly dies over the course of the first hour. Really rough watch. Mm. But then. <laughs> An hour into it. There's an hour left in the movie. Uh, the mom, who's played by Julie Delpy, who wrote the movie and directed it, um, decides to look up an experimental doctor who's living in Russia uh, who does uh, insemination. And she goes to him 
and goes, I want to clone Zoe, who's my daughter, and give birth to her again. And the rest of the movie is about that. <laughs> and it doesn't really examine the ethical implications, really. It gives Ew. a lip service, but at the end, ultimately, uh, she clones her, and things are implied to have turned out okay. And I'm just kind of like, ah, no. Mm, it, was, yeah. it was really such a turn, because the first hour is very realistic and sad. But then it's like, nope, it's, this movie's actually about cloning children and humans. But to bring it back to Falcon and Winter Soldier is Julie Delphi says in the movie pretty much that exact line. Except she says widow because she's a woman instead of widow. Yeah. But the reason why this is relevant to this and it's not just like coincident is do you want to know who plays the clone mad scientist in my Zoe? It's who? Daniel Brule. <laughs> so I guarantee you oh. Daniel Pearl was probably looking at the scripts for this whole show and going like that sounds familiar <laughs> but yeah um, yeah I just wanted to mention that because I feel like that line was designed to be profound yeah it's not and I've also heard it before in a bad movie so <laughs> so it didn't help yeah but yeah I, right. I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was funny but yeah. uh so this show seems to be highlighting the com- the conflicting views of those who were blipped and those who lived through the blip. Um, obviously, those who were blipped have no idea what those five years were for the people who, who lived through that. Um, and the people who lived through the blip have hardened and they seem to want to move on because that's all they've known for the past five years is they just have to keep pressing on. You know, got just got to survive, keep pressing on. And the blipped seem to rather want to preserve, preserve legacy. And we see this with the boat argument between Falcon and his sister. Um, I feel like it's so I, weird, though. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Because you think that the blipped people... I don't know. They want to preserve a legacy of a world that hasn't been around for five years. That's what right. it is. And it's very weird. Uh yeah it doesn't well, again they i don't think they know how to live in how the how much the world's changed you know but the show doesn't seem to be addressing that with the flag smash no it, it doesn't yeah that's it's mis- giving it as i want to call it and i kind of want to I, I agree with what you're saying but i also think the show doesn't really delve into the argument that much it's giving it blip service ha 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 ah. yeah but yeah no it's lip service and it's just like I get. I guess I just really want to show that delves into the blip, and how people responded to people coming back beyond the chaos that we see with Tiana Paris and WandaVision. I want to see, like, I said this before, and whenever we watch Endgame, it's gonna make me cry more because it's now the last scene in Chad of Chadwick in the MCU. But to me, the most emotional part of Endgame is not any of the deaths or Cap reuniting with Peggy. It's when Tony's giving his speech at his funeral and it's like old families getting back together and we see the Wakandan royal family reunite. I want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or more scenes like Paul Rudd seeing his daughter his for the daughter first time again. in five years. Even though he wasn't yeah. blipped. Because uh, I think it's really weird to me that the blip has been framed as this... Well... I say the blip as in the return. The return is framed as this bad thing. Because I actually do think the return is kind of... I don't want to say it's a bad thing, because it is a good thing. 
but there would be a lot of chaos to it like we see in WandaVision and there's a lot of uh, reawakening old grief that should come from it you know what I mean yeah. like people have yeah. moved on and now they're back and like all that but yeah anyway I think like for example not, not that this would be the show to address it we're told that Falcon was blipped but neither his sister or his nephews were uh, what if one of the nephews were blipped? Uh, again, I don't think this show would actually bother to address it, but it's just like, I don't know. That's my, I, I'm kind of rambling right now, but it's just like, I wish yeah. we could examine. It's just very morose, this pilot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but why don't we get a little bit of like the joy of the return? Because that's the thing too, is like, I don't want to be like, why don't you respect him, sister? Because I think that's ridiculous to do. But it's just kind of like we only really see them argue and not really her being like, I'm happy you're back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that to me is kind of a disappointment. Again, this thing where I'm going to just call it a blip service where they give this lip service idea to what the blip happened, but they don't really address it. I think the only thing that's addressed it since it's happened satisfactorily to my mind was the WandaVision opening, cold open. Mm hmm. I, I think you make, you're making a really good point with wanting something that shows shows like the five years and then also shows about uh when people started coming back you know with with the blip because we're kind of thrown into this we're thrown into this world of post blip we're thrown into this post blip world and we're just expected to automatically buy in and like have like there's no emotional the emotionally to it. exactly there we we're wanting to emotionally it wants us to emotionally attach because there are familiar faces in the story rather than uh you know giving us an emotional story to attach to to you know no yeah i go yeah i agree it's just i don't know it's something where again it's something where people always want to be like well down the road marvel can address this but in this case it can't we have to address endgame now because eventually we're going to move past it like we will right and that's fine like that's that's how things work but the fact that we're looking at endgame uh, i want i I just want to look at what the post blip stuff we've seen so far we have the end montage of endgame which is great that's probably the best one um we have far from home which treats it like a joke yeah. Uh, which is bizarre. I get why, because it's the tone of that thing. And I think Ant-Man and the Wasp might do that too. But, well, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp... Th- I think Ant-Man 3 doesn't need to address it. Because Ant-Man has such a pivotal role in Endgame of bringing mm-hmm. people back. And we see him reunite with his daughter in Endgame itself too. Um, yeah. I think it'd be interesting if Ant-Man 3, even though I don't think it will, because I think it doesn't really care about those characters, is what if one of... What if Cassie lost either her mom during the blip or her stepdad during the blip and one of them came back i think that'd be interesting i think that'd be cool yeah. thing to draw. i don't think they will because uh, i don't think it's the tone to do that i don't think guardians or thor should address the blip much at all i don't think it would make any sense for them because they're a space-based well, based. well, well see, guardians will obviously based, have its but the whole the universe war. the whole universe was affected by the snap though it wasn't just Earth. Yeah, I get that. But my question is, what characters do we care about that were affected by this? Yeah. I think yeah, I, Rocky I think, and Nebula, think... if they don't take into account the events of them surviving the snap in the script of Guardians 3, I think that'd be disappointing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also think I, it's not Thor's job to do that. And I think Thor comes out first. That's the reason why I say that. Yeah. I don't think it's Thor's job to do that. And with Thor, our characters that have been gone have been... I don't know what Nat- if Natalie Portman will have been blipped or not. They haven't said. But I think... What do you call it? Um... I think Valkyrie and Thor weren't, you know, so it's like, that's not relevant. But my point is, this would have been the property to deal with. Because, as I already said with my branch about the Flag Smashers, this would have been the property to do that with. Because it's the immediate aftermath of Endgame. It was supposed to be, as we said, the first return to post-Endgame, besides Far From Home. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be engaging with it. It's very disappointing to me. Yeah. Emotionally. Also, since, again, this show is about... Uh, like WandaVision is about grief. This show should be about legacy and moving on from like like the next chapter. But you can't yeah. do the next chapter without addressing what happened before. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this has done it satisfactorily so far. Maybe Zemo will allow them to do it if Zemo wasn't snapped. I will say that if it's revealed that Zemo was snapped, I will be so like... I'll, I'll just completely probably disengage from the show. I'll just be like, well... I don't really see a point of this if Zemo wasn't... I think Sharon Carter will definitely had not been snapped. But Zemo, I also think, can't... If he's not... A, ugh, you know what? I, I'm just lying right now, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Yeah. Falcon tries to get a bank loan. The best scene of the episode. Um, We see Falcon go with his sister to try to get a bank loan to take care of the boat uh where it's revealed that tony never paid the adventure which is pretty funny uh, <laughs> i thought that was really amusing you know, I get he's like yeah I'll, I'll give you a place to stay and some food stipends but yeah we're, you're not getting paid we're not it's just that to me is really funny because tony's rich there's no reason for him right. not to pay the avengers <laughs> uh this is the scene that I is obviously meant to t- tackle the systemic racism part of the show, which is good. I think it's really good. The show is actually not going to give it lip service, as I've said. Yeah. I think that morally speaking, though, even if we ignore the systemic racism aspect, this show kind of posits that the banks are discriminating against people who were blipped for five years. And I think that has so much disturbing implications uh, beyond normal systemic racism, disturbing implications. Uh, again, though, this goes back to the thing that I just ranted about for a bit. I'm not going to go into it again because a lot of this podcast has been me talking about it. Uh, but I'm gonna, I am going to just call it blip service. That's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it blip service. That's the new thing. Uh, but I like the scene because I also thought the acting was good. Not necessarily just from Falcon and his sister. But I thought mm-hmm. the guy who played the bank teller did a really good job of... I think a lot of shows nowadays that tackle systemic racism uh, often do cartoonish... Uh... That's the thing, is like... So, I don't want to get too much into it, but like a movie like Black Klansman, I think it's very dangerous to characterize racists as, oh, those dumb hick racists, because most racism nowadays is done by people there are there's still dumb people who are racist but there's a lot of intentionally racist people in the world yeah uh, and then there's also people like in this episode where they're just 
enacting out the system um, without really thinking about how they're doing it. And I like that this guy wasn't an idiot. He was just clueless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a really well done scene. Well, he thought he was being a good employee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but he was partaking in the system that is... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The system. The system of sy- systemic racism. That thing. But yeah. Uh, good scene, I thought. What about you? Mm-hmm. I I thought I thought the scene was really good, and this is this is what I was talking about earlier when I said this show excels when it slows down instead oh, yeah. of its action parts. You know, being being the big uh, ooh la la that just seems to be a bunch of spectacle. Where this is like this is where the meat of the show really is. This is yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would say, because I want to clarify what I said earlier, because I was like anti that, is I think this scene is good, but I don't think we needed, I think we had two scenes beforehand of Falcon and his sister arguing about if they should go or not. Yeah. Or if there's only one, it was, the scene dragged. Oh. Um, yeah. If there was two, it's the thing, I don't remember if there's two if there's one. If there was two, we only needed one. If there was one, the scene that was one could have been cut down about a minute or so, because it went on for like five or six minutes if it was only one. Um, yeah, that might be exaggerating, but it went on too long. Is my point. Uh, this scene was good. It's just the build-up to it took too long, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes with also with Bucky, his whole storyline with uh, Thirst the woman, and then the guy is that like I think we had two scenes with the guy, and it was like could have been one. We didn't need the intro scene that, as I said, bothered me because it was harassment of an Asian American this week. But I also think regardless of the events this week i don't think that scene was needed we could have just had bucky meeting with this guy at a bar you know and what then i mean we like, find out like, like we didn't we... need necessarily need the flash the flashback i don't know i thought oh, actually i think I, the I like the flashback was good it's just that right now it feels weird yeah uh, because of yeah. Current event. i thought the flashback scene was well done i'm saying the scene with the guy on the street being harassed we didn't need why didn't we just cut the bucky in the bar already with him and then gain from dialogue who this guy was you know what I mean? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We didn't need that scene beforehand. Yeah, that uh, does make sense. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, just that scene does nothing for us besides establish the friendship, which could have been done at the bar. Yeah, or the exactly. restaurant. Yeah, and yeah, it's just yeah. I think this this episode could use some cutting down, even though yeah, it's forty two minutes without credits. But who cares? Yeah. Make it shorter. Cut, cut, cut. This is a stream <laughs> show. It doesn't need to reach a certain time. Right. Uh, but yeah. Good scene, though. This scene is good. Uh, it's just, as I said, the buildup was a bit too much to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it's disturbing with its implications beyond systemic racism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, the show isn't going to address that, so who cares? Yeah. Which, uh, moving on. You, well, John you Walker. Talk, you, you, what? you talked about this scene... Um, addressing systemic racism and i want to talk about like with the introduction of u.s agent yeah in a way it also addresses systemic racism in a way because of how um is it a senator or who's talking when they i think it's a senator but it's the guy who introduced sam at the smithsonian thing yeah and he said but he says we need someone that looks a lot more like america looks like represents us a lot more and here it is we've got another white guy 
And I know? like I like Sam's reaction. Anthony I, Mackie's yes. face is very Anthony Mackie's face. He was like, "Oh crap, I really messed up." Like getting rid of the shield. Yeah, but... and I'm. This is will. This will. This is what will bring Bucky and uh, Sam together next episode. Yeah. Is the why did this happen? Why were we not informed about this? As basically yeah. Captain America's next of kin. Uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. But, I'm interested. Uh, uh, I think next week will make or break if I like this show because if they're really diving into the stuff with John Walker and U.S. Agent the way I want them to, yeah. I might be able to forgive the lack of acknowledging the blip because I do think mm-hmm. that's an interesting story in its own right. Um, but yeah, we'll see. You know, I can't really say anything about it because this is just a reveal. And I also really like Wyatt Russell as an actor. Uh, and I'm interested to see him in more of a dramatic role because what I know him from is his comedies. Because he was in gotcha. Everybody Wants Some, which is directed by Richard Linklater. You might like that. That's a baseball movie. Uh, okay. Well, it's more of a college comedy that uses baseball players in its roles. But Wyatt Russell's gotcha. in it. He's really good in it. He plays basically the one old guy that's still hanging around the frat house. Uh, you know what I mean? Like guy in his late so it's 20s. like Animal He's... House. Yeah, yeah, like, kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's a movie that doesn't really have a plot, though. So, But it's fun. Uh, yeah. But like I will... Animal House. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen Animal Sorry. House. Um, You've not seen Animal House? I no, I know. That. SIU alum, you're totally failing. Uh, <laughs> and then also, uh, Wyatt Russell's in 22 Jump Street. Uh, he has a very memorable side role in that, in my opinion. He plays the... Oh, okay. Uh, have you seen 22 Jump Street? Twice. Yeah, I love 22 Jump Street. Yeah. But anyway, he's the guy who Channing Tatum uh, becomes really close friends with. You know what I mean? Like... Uh, and he's when he uh, joins the football team. Yeah, he's the yeah he's like the leader of the football team. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I like Wyatt Russell, and I hope this role show gives him a good role. I think it will. I think U.S. I think he's third build. I also think he's the most established actor of the new actors that are on this show. Besides, uh, I say new, not returning actors. Um, yeah. I think the only other one who could be established really is the person who's playing Flag Smasher. Because she was in Solo, Star Wars story. But mm. yeah. Anyway. You, you uh, talk yeah. about the billing. How did yeah, you like the billing um, this week? Now, I'll, I'm going to talk about the billing, uh, but also acknowledge that I know that it's kind of ridiculous for me to get out of that. Is that Sebastian Stan was billed before Anthony Mackie. Uh, mm. I'm sure they will be alternating who is billed first, like WandaVision did. Yeah. The difference is with WandaVision is since it had an odd number of episodes, is the first episode and the last episode could have Elizabeth Olsen built first. So it was okay. Uh, this I assume it's because the last episode will now have Anthony Mackie built first. Yeah. However, it also comes down to the fact is, is I like Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany equally. I like Anthony Mackie miles more than I like Sebastian Stan. So that's where I was here. I was like, come on. The Anthony Mackie yeah. building, top building the all, for all the episodes. I get why he's not. It just got me frustrated, though. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, predictions. Moving on to our next segment of predictions for the next episode. Uh, I'm excited to see where Daniel Brule, also on this podcast known as Christoph Waltz, uh, will come into play. Um, because we've not, we've not really seen him seen me yet so i'm interested in seeing yeah i was surprised him and goes. sharon aren't mentioned in the pilot yeah but i was okay with it because well i was okay with sharon uh 
I'm also interested about Brule. Uh, as I said, I think this show to me will make on break on two things. One is the execution of US Agent, which is what I'm looking forward to next episode. But yeah. Honestly, it's still like if it's revealed that Zemo was also gone the last five years in the snap, I will completely lose interest in his character. To me, the only thing that would be interesting about him, the main thing that would be interesting about him is seeing how he escaped and established himself as a new person. As we've seen in the trailers, he has a different costume and a different persona in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that yeah. has to have been made during those five years that everyone was gone. Right. Um, yeah. And if it's you... not, I'll be like, okay, great. Again, this show does not want to engage with the most interesting part of the MCU. Right. Now. Yeah. Um, but I also think that me being worried there might... I think I'm being preempted then. Because I do think the show will ultimately... I think the show will go the way I think it will. And have him be around during when Falcon and Winter Soldier weren't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know why yeah, I'm being so like, I, I, I hope, about it. I think I, it will be like that. Yeah, I'm hopeful like you, like you are for that. It's not like... It's not like... Of course, you know what I said a few months ago? I'm so happy that we're going to introduce the multiverse with uh, Peter Maximoff being here. So... Never say never with the Marvel. They've disappointed me too much recently. But yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I, think I think that, that covers wrap, this episode. Wraps I think this up episode today, we yeah. might have actually talked more about in the green room than we talked about the... Uh... <laughs> no, you know what I mean. I think it's we took a while to get to the... I don't think there was a lot to, to talk about with Falcon Winter Soldier, though, here. It was a pilot. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. You can catch us on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on our website, whyiswithtydan.buzzsprout.com. Also starting this week, we are on Pandora, so check us out there. Uh, You can also listen to us on YouTube at our channel, Why Is with Ty and Dan, once this episode goes up and given that my computer decides to cooperate with us this week. Yeah. Not your video. Don't worry, though. Your video now might work, too. Anyway, you can follow <laughs> us on Why Is on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at Why Is with Ty and One, because I am number one. You can also follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at Blankets for reviews of movies, including those not in the MCU. Actually, last week I did watch an MCU movie. I watched uh, Captain America the First Avenger for fun. So if you want to read my review of that, that's up there. But more importantly, you can also read my reviews on other stuff. Like Cat in the Hat. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Alright, that's our episode. Join us next week. Alright, see you next week.